You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. My dad you know, he had his television show. I'm in Pepperdine. I came out of nowhere, man. I, I wanted to surf so badly, and I, I struggled at it. It took me over a year to learn to stand up. It was horrifying. I couldn't figure it out. Man. So you were living in Hollywood? Hollywood, Hollywood surfing yeah. Malibu? Surfing with Clark Gable's son, John, whose brother was Bunker Spreckles. Yeah. And we stole Bunker's lightning bolt. No way. And took it on the bus to Santa Monica. And if he were here now, he'd kick our you-know-whats. Yeah. So we would go and hang out at Malibu, and we were like 15, 16, right? And Danny Hilton, Paris's uncles, right? Bobby Darren's son, we all surf. And mom took me to Hawaii when I was nine. I stood up. Well, anybody can stand up in Hawaii, right? When they took me to Santa Monica, I mean, I was a laughing stock. I said, oh, I know how to surf. I'll go with you guys. And they were just, they gave me, I was humiliated, right? And then we went down to Tim Disney's house um, in Capistrano, Walt Disney's grandson. And uh, I, f I finally I finally got it. It was repetition, repetition. I was at third point, and this is in like 1978 or nine. I paddled up the third point. The first thing I see, I get in someone's way. Get the f out of here. Get the f Don't come back until you learn to surf. It was Alan Sarlo. But there was another guy out there who surfed with his shorts around his neck, naked, Mickey. And he told me, don't ever come back until you learn to surf. You could not go to third point and be a kook. You can't have a surf school out there. You had to earn your spot there. And I, you know what I did? I was raised strict. I was raised to uh, respect my elders. So I went to Sunset. I went to Sunset for a whole year and I became a local there. And I met all the guys from Venice that frequented that point, right? And I got my sea legs there. And I remember going back up to third point and spraying Mickey in the face with my twin fin. No way. Yeah, I sprayed his ass. This, this is why like, you know, getting bullied and harassed and, you know, it, it builds you. Oh yeah. It builds you. You know, if someone said, oh, there, there, Johnny, it, it, I would have never had the drive to do what I did, right. you know? And, and in a very short amount of time, I, I, you know, I was collegiate champion of the NSSA, of the Northern Conference, you know? So, I mean, a lot of that discipline dad yes preached yes it was embedded in you yeah but i was rebelling at the same time right because when i won the northern conference championships i called my mom and dad i just won the nssa northern conference championships i did a 360 in the finals with 300 people on the beach and kicked everybody's butt and my mom goes oh we're so proud of you john we're so right and my my dad gets on the phone and he goes oh you don't get enough 
exercise from that surfing crap. <laughs> I was devastated. You know, like, you know, it, 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 that was a tough one. Now, here is the man who will show you how to feel better, look better, Jack LaLanne. Good morning. Happy Monday morning to you. Thanks very, very much for letting me come into your home. You know, my name is Jack LaLanne, and I'm here for one reason and one reason only, to show you how to feel better and look better so you can live longer. Please keep your dial right where it is, because I want to become real good friends with you. There has been so much talk of late about this was of course the television show that john referenced in his opening sentence it was an exercise focused variety show starring his father and at times his mother and it ran for an impressive 34 years it's hard to imagine now that jack lalane even needs this introduction because for half a century he was synonymous with fitness health and wellness the jumping jack is actually named after him and when 21-year-old Arnold Schwarzenegger first came to America in 1968, he witnessed 54-year-old Jack LaLanne at Venice's Muscle Beach doing endless push-ups and chin-ups. Arnold was recently crowned the youngest Mr. Universe ever, and figuring that Jack was probably gassed out at this point, he jovially challenged LaLanne to a chin-up and push-up contest. And I actually haven't found a report on how many push-ups and chin-ups were completed, but even Arnold himself tells this story and said that he lost badly to Jack. He said that he was actually sore for four days and he couldn't even lift his arms afterwards. But the truth is, Jack's success and influence wasn't strictly the result of his strength and discipline. He was able to connect with people on a personal level because he actually cared about their well-being in the truest sense of the word. Here's Lou Ferrigno on Jack. Before he came, I made sure that I was, you know, standing straight. I did my push-up, and I want to be pumped up because when Jack came, I want him to look at me knowing that I'm not going to be critiqued, but I'm going to be respected. So when he walked in, he goes, hey, Lou, you need to work out. And that's how people remember Jack, and the fact he affected me and the people. They don't forget it because Jack gave. He never just said, let me take from you. He gave to you. Jack LaLanne addressed America's burgeoning obesity epidemic and all of its associated illnesses before anyone else did. He recognized that as the growing and processing of food became industrialized, sickness and disease seemed to be increasing. Couple that with work life transitioning indoors and desk bound and the popularity of television resulting in an overall more sedentary lifestyle. So he used that exact medium, television, to connect with people and show them how to use chairs and common household objects to keep your body moving. And his message really was as simple as that. Inactivity is the killer. And what you put in your body will either give you the energy and inspiration to move, or it'll neutralize your body and your mind. 
This message was actually gifted to him by nutritionist Paul Bragg, the same Bragg whose apple cider vinegar you might have in your kitchen cabinet. Bragg was giving a lecture in Oakland, California, and a 14-year-old Jack and his mother found themselves at the lecture as a result of doctors being unable to diagnose his myriad child illnesses. Up until that day, Jack was a very sickly child. He had an atrocious temper, was constantly getting into trouble. Despite being a sugarholic, or perhaps because of it, he was 30 pounds underweight and in constant pain. As a real last-ditch effort, Jack and his mom attended Bragg's lecture, but they showed up a little late and there were no seats available. Thankfully, an usher intervened and invited him to sit on stage. This simple intervention changed Jack's life and created a ripple effect of health and wellness in our culture that is immeasurable. Anyway, that lecture continued. He was so forceful. He kind of screaming, he says, ladies and gentlemen, it matters not what your present condition is, matters not what your age is. If you obey nature's laws, you can be born again. Here on this little weak, sick, terrible kid, this man said I could be born again. I wanted to go out with girls. I wanted to participate in sports. I wanted to wake up in the morning without any aches and pains. This man said I could do it. I went home that night. I'm so enthused. Remember, you know what I was eating in those days? I was a full-blown sugarholic. And if there's anybody that knows what I'm talking about, you know how many people are hooked on sugar? It is as bad as on dope or booze or anything. This sugar destroys the B vitamins and so many minerals in your body. Your mind is affected all the time. You don't have any energy or vitality. I went home that night and I got on my knees and I said, dear God or somebody, I need help. Give me the willpower to refrain from eating these foods that are killing me. That night, I went strict vegetarian because that lecture was a vegetarian. I joined the Berkeley, California YMCA, and the rest is history. Within two weeks, my headaches left, my energy doubled. If something saved your life, Karen, would you be enthusiastic about it? That's why I'm so enthusiastic. That's why I go to my lectures. I tell these folks, if you obey nature's laws, you can be born again. How do people die? Most people work at dying. They don't work at living. You got to eat right. You got to exercise and think right. Would you get your dog up in the morning, give him a cup of coffee, a cigarette, a donut? Why are you laughing? You'd kill the dog. But look at how many millions of Americans got up this morning with a cup of coffee, a cigarette, and a donut. They wonder why they're sick, why they're tired. They're working at dying. I have a new Corvette. Would I put water in a gas tank? It wouldn't run, would it? Your human machine's no different. You put junk in here, junk out. You put good life, vital foods in the body, energy and vitality comes out. What do you think these 80 trillion cells in your body are made of? The food you put in your mouth. Who puts the food in your mouth? Did God ever come and eat breakfast for you? I never heard. Five o'clock in the morning, I work out. Jack, this is Jesus I'll work out for you today. God helps them that help themselves. Anything happens to you, or to you folks that are listening, or to me, anything happens to me, good or bad, don't blame God, don't blame the government, blame yourself. You made it happen. Jack was an early member of Venice's original Muscle Beach. At the age of 21 in 1936, he opened the nation's first fitness gym. He introduced the first protein powder, the first breakfast bar. I grew up drinking vegetable and fruit juices pulverized in a Jack LaLanne juicer and actually still have and use that juicer. And they've introduced a lot of updated models since, and mine's probably 20 years old, but it still works perfectly. 
And at the time that Jack was doing a lot of this, or certainly in the beginning, it was uncommon for women to be athletes or to even express an interest in physical fitness. Jack designed TV shows and classes in his gym specifically for women and pioneered breaking that stigma. Every year on his birthday, he would do an epic stunt to draw more attention to this fitness movement. Here he is in 1955 at the age of 41. What did you do on your last birthday, Jack? Well, last birthday was September 26th. I broke a record. I paddled from the Farallon Islands to San Francisco on a surfboard, nine and a half hours in rough water. At the age of 70, he swam a mile and a half, handcuffed and shackled, towing 70 rowboats with 70 people the entire way. At the age of 95, he was weightlifting for 90 minutes and swimming for 90 minutes, seven days a week. He did pass away at the age of 96 from respiratory failure due to pneumonia in January of 2011. He had been sick for a week but refused to see a doctor. He had maintained his daily workout regime until the day before he died. He passed away at his family home in Central California, which is where we recorded today's conversation. It's a two-parter. Today is part one, and then I'll publish part two next Wednesday. And that is a long introduction to today's guest, Jack's son, surfboard shaper John Belay. I've been curious about John's surfboard designs for a while now, and I had the good fortune of running into him a few months ago, and I realized that we had a ton to discuss. He welcomed me up to his family's estate where John splits his time uh, between here and Hawaii. His mother, Elaine, is the consummate host. She's 94 years of age and still sharp as a tack. She was trying to feed me, handing me Jack LaLanne merch, ensuring that I constantly had water. She wanted to know more about podcasting, which I figured she was just being nice about. But then she showed me a little studio that she had recently set up and where she's working on a concept for entering into the podcast space to further spread the Lelaine message of wellness. So she's transitioned from radio to TV and still looking at ways of expanding at the age of 94. I was a little taken aback when she bragged about how important sex is to one's vitality, even in older age. And I asked how frequent is healthy when you're in your 90s. And she said that throughout her 52-year marriage to Jack, they had sex almost every day. Quote, almost on Monday, almost on Tuesday, almost on Wednesday. And John politely laughed and then told me that she had Howard Stern dying in laughter at that joke the last time she was on his show. Anyways, John and I headed down the hallway, passing tons of celebrity photos, one of a young Barbara Streisand sharing a cup of tea with Jack, and that was right under a photo of John doing a bottom turn at cloud break. We eventually made our way into a parlor room that was filled with countless bits of memorabilia, living history of an old Hollywood. And that's where we recorded today's conversation about surfboards, growing through missteps, and finding your own path while still honoring your role as a son to someone who's larger than life. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope that you enjoy part one of two of my conversation with John LaLanne. And Happy New Year, by the way. It's the house dad built. You know, he built it all on his own. He, he got the Horatio Alger Award, which is a big deal because people that make it to where he did came from abject poverty, right? He grew up on a sheep farm in poverty. And he, by his own sheer will and common sense, made it to the top. 
So, I mean, he, he created this whole empire and he was sick. He was sick as a kid, right? And, and at 15 years old, he almost died. He had a mastoid. You could touch his ear with the pin and the pain was so great. He'd go out of his mind, right? And he was eating cakes and pies and sugar and really bad food. And um, my grandmother, his mother, took him to a seven-day Adventist thing, and they took him to Paul Bragg's seminar, which is, you know Bragg's Aminos? I do, right? yeah. I use the um, apple cider vinegar. Oh, it's amazing, yeah. right? He attended a Paul Bragg seminar, and Paul Bragg said, if you obey nature's laws, you can be reborn again. And my dad never forgot that, and he actually brought dad up on stage and made an um, example of how you're not supposed to look, right? After that, my dad joined the YMCA. He changed his diet. That saved his life. And my dad was so fanatical about it that he wanted to bring this message to the world, right? He started the first gym, but the gyms back then were sweat boxes. They were dirty. They were disgusting. But my dad put carpeting in, mirrors, plants to make people want to come and work out, Fascinating. right? That was his contribution. And he couldn't get any business at the time because if you, at that time, you would be considered, you know, muscle-bound, stupid. Um, women will get, uh, you know, they won't be able to bear children, um, all this stuff. So my dad went to the schools and got the kids. Go to the parents. He said, look, your fat kid, I'm going to take 50 pounds off him and gain 10 pounds of muscle or your money back. Double your money back. Right, your skinny kid. I'm going to add 20 pounds of muscle, and you know I'll add 25 pounds or whatever. Right, and my dad got results. So I guess he started his gym. He started to get busy, and then you know he was asked to be on television. He never wanted to be on television, and it he just kind of fell into it. He had no formal training, no nothing. He just invented his show. Right. He just, you know, it was sponsored one year and the sponsor pulled out and the show went over so well. My dad said, I've got to keep this message on the air. I've got to keep this, get this to the American people. Right. And so <clears throat> he had to invent products to sell, to stay on the air, to pay the bills. So he started supplements, started the first protein powder, started the, the stretcher. Just He had to invent stuff. And so, you know, I look over and, and at my mind, you know, why was I so intrigued why my surfboards didn't work? You know, like, like I, I think I have a lot of that same mind in me, you know? I'm not nearly as famous or I have not nearly made the contributions to society that he has. But, you know, for me, I think surfing is a gym in and of itself. Right? I mean, that lifestyle, you look at surfers and, and how long they live and how good they look when they get older, there's something about this sport. Sure. You know, like if you, if you look at instant breakfast, um, Carnation's instant breakfast, right? It's been around for, you know, almost 60 years now, probably. Right? And he invented, mom and dad invented it in San Francisco. They said, we need something you can drink. We need something that's quick, on the go. And we had it out on the market, and we were in Hollywood at the time, and we took it down Carnation to get Instatized, 
Well, the FDA comes along and says, oh, well, you can't claim this. You can't claim that. You got to pull it off the shelves. Well, yeah, but it's kind of like having an egg. It's kind of, you know, and you can't have an exercise booklet with that because that's not substantiated. Well, two years later, Carnation comes out with their instant breakfast. Right. Like, oh, oh, you guys and buddies with the FDA, right? right? Yeah. So we took them to court and we, we won the case. The judge ruled that anybody could use instant breakfast. And, you know, we went on to make other other items right. right but i mean you know protein powder the protein bar too dad we had one of the first protein bars tiger milk came out shortly thereafter right you know and and uh you know my dad was was brilliant he was he was brilliant he was sharp you know because i mean he he was he was so sickly as a kid and he almost was he was a death store when you when you're in that situation man you you know just being alive is a plus right you know um these stories, you're telling them so vividly. Where did you hear these stories? Was your dad a storyteller? Did you hear them from him directly? Over and over okay. and over and over again. It, it got to the point where, you know, we'd had gifts over. He would not stop preaching about it. He's a preacher for the here and now. Yeah. Right? He's always telling people, you got to eat natural foods. You got to keep exercising. You got to keep moving. If you stop moving, it's death. Right? These World War II vets would come home. Well, actually, it's interesting. My friend Brian Hilbers, who's he's a shaper, fine yeah. line. Yeah, yeah. Brian Hilbers is the most intelligent shaper on the planet, in my opinion. Right? He said something very interesting. He says that World War II vets were at death's door. When they came back, <clears throat> they said, you know what? We're gonna live life, right? It, it kind of started the action sports industry start riding motorcycles and skiing, surfing, right? Because we, we, we were there. We're going to live our life a little fuller. Right? But the average American at retirement would sit down and watch television, right? So the, all these diseases were popping up. When my dad came on the air, he changed everything. He saved a rich nation from poor health through the medium of television. A whole country, and that went international. Yeah. Well, we, we had the show in Russia. We had a guy from Mongolia at one of the trade shows a couple of years ago come down and give my mom a plaque. Thank you for your message. Crazy. My dad's message was simple. You know, it was, it, it's simple. A layman, layman can understand. There's a lot of science behind it now. You know, got to mix course. this with that. But, you know, if you do, if you use your common sense and try to eat things that aren't processed and exercise. Yeah. You're doing better. You, maybe you don't have to have your book so much, right? If you got a weight problem, you know, you, you, you should count your calories. Sure. I mean, I was working in restaurants and I got a little heavy myself and dad got me a calorie book and I followed it and, and I lost weight and I just decided I wanted to be lean and mean like Bruce Lee and not bulky. You know. So, so many kids that are raised under like strict dogma from their parents, whatever it may be, rebel against it given that your dad was kind of cramming this stuff every direction, yeah. every time people came over, like you said, how did that affect you? Did you embrace the message? I mean, it was nuts. Did you rebel? I mean, my dad was like rock star status back then. You know, like, like, what was it like growing up? And I said, I don't know anything different, so I don't think to compare it to, you know? But one thing I noticed around me, I noticed a lot of happiness, right, in LA. A lot of happiness. A lot, like, I saw, saw my... Mom and dad's social. Um, 
activities. They'd have people over and I went, I was in school and, you know, I remember inviting my friend's parents to my birthday parties. You know, you, I guess you didn't really hear about that much. You know, it was, it was like, you know, I, I, I don't know why I was drawn to it. I, I didn't rebel. I rebelled by surfing. And, and, and I'll give you a good, good instance about how surfing was viewed back in those days. My dad, you know, he had his television show. I'm in Pepperdine. I came out of nowhere, man. I, I wanted to surf so badly, and I, I struggled at it. It took me over a year to learn to stand up. It was horrifying. I couldn't figure it out. Man. So you were living in Hollywood? Hollywood. Hollywood. Surfing yeah. Malibu? Surfing with Clark Gable's son, John, whose brother was Bunker Spreckles. Yeah. And we stole Bunker's lightning bolt. And took it on the bus to Santa Monica. And if he were here now, he'd kick our you-know-whats. Yeah. Right? So we would go and hang out at Malibu. And we were like 15, 16. Right? And Danny Hilton, Paris's uncles. Right? Bobby Darren's son. We all surf. And mom took me to Hawaii when I was nine. I stood up. Well, anybody can stand up in Hawaii, right? When they took me to Santa Monica... I mean, I was a laughing stock. I said, oh, I know how to surf. I'll go with you guys. And they were just, they gave me, I was humiliated, right? And then we went down to Tim Disney's house um, in Capistrano, Walt Disney's grandson. And uh, I, I finally I finally got it. It was through repetition, repetition. When I got into Pepperdine, I was at third point. And this is in like 1978 or nine. And I paddled up the third point. The first thing I see, I get in someone's way. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck. Don't come back until you learn to surf. It was Alan Sarlo. I was going to guess Alan Sarlo. Okay, but there was another guy out there who surfed with his shorts around his neck, naked, Mickey. And he told me, don't ever come back until you learn to surf. You could not go to third point and be a kook. You can't have a surf school out there. You had to earn your spot there. And I, you know what I did? I was raised strict. I was raised to uh, respect my elders. So I went to Sunset. I went to Sunset for a whole year and I became a local there. And I met all the guys from Venice that frequented that point, right? And I got my sea legs there. And I remember going back up to third point and spraying Mickey in the face with my twin fin. No way. Yeah. I sprayed his ass. What did he have to say about that? You know what he did? Yeah. I mean, he was probably... Good job. He's on a log, I he, would imagine. No, no. He's on a, he's on a pintail. Really? Because it was like seven O's. Okay. Back then, the sti- we had Stinger. It was... It, twin fins really weren't there yet yeah you know i mean we had the seven six pintail um th- there was a lot of single fins but they were starting to shrink down 78 79 with the bonzer camel brothers you know they always were showing their board off that was a thruster i mean it was somewhat of a thruster right i had i had a, I had a bonzer at that time i had a stinger uh, a rick stinger um and then when i got into malibu um you know I, I I sprayed um I didn't spray John Gable and and uh Hilton 
I just got way better than those guys. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like, wow, John, you're, you're, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. You guys drove it to me. It, this, this is why, like, you know, getting bullied and harassed and, you know, it, it builds you. Oh, yeah. It builds you. You know, if someone said, oh, there, there, Johnny, it, it, I would have never had the drive to do what I did. Right. You know, and, and in a very short amount of time, I, I, you know, I was the collegiate champion of the NSSA of the Northern Conference. You know, so I mean, a lot of that discipline that your dad yes. preached, yes, it was embedded in you. Yeah, but I was rebelling at the same time, right? Because when I won the Northern Conference championships, I called my mom and dad. I just won the NSSA Northern Conference championships. I did a three sixty in the finals with three hundred people on the beach and kicked everybody's butt. And my mom goes, oh, we're so proud of you, John. We're so right. And my, my dad gets on the phone. He goes, oh, you don't get enough exercise from that surfing crap. Hilarious. <laughs> I was devastated. You know, like, you know, it, 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 that was a tough one. Yeah. You know, but you look at surfing now. I mean, you know, I stuck at it, right? And, and uh, it was really rough in those days, man. I mean, the fights... That were, that were out in the water, the localism, the competition was nuts. It, it was like um, gladiators out there. Yeah. Third point especially. Because we, we had the El Nino for four years straight. I just moved into Malibu. And I thought every winter was like this. Warm water, four to eight feet every single day breaking in Malibu. I mean, I'm on a third point every October by myself with one other guy. There was no surf line. There was no surf report. Right. You know, I had third point to myself for almost a half a decade. Crazy. Every fall and every spring because nobody, well, Malibu's not breaking. Right. But Malibu breaks all year round, but nobody knew because everybody's over the hill. There wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a big population in Malibu in 79. Yeah. Right? And, and when the 976 numbers came out, that started getting a few more people to the beach, right? You know, um, in, in off season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would imagine your dad would have been uh, difficult to please no matter what level of success you would achieve in life because he was so driven. Did he ever see the value in surfing throughout your life? Years later. I remember when he was on his tour, he, he you know, he, when I won the Northern Conference Championships, I think he kind of turned around a bit um, because when he'd introduced me to some events and things like that, he says, oh, my my son's a world champion surfer, okay. you know, right? So, so he, he would address proud. me as that, you know. Yeah. He, my, my son's a captain of the Pepperdine surf team and he even announced it on one of his shows in 84. Gotcha. Because I, I won the Northern Conference Championships in 83. Gotcha. Right. So so he, he, he started to get it after a while, you know. Yeah, I mean there's multiple things happening. Like it's so counterculture and it was so, uh, I don't know, maybe frowned upon oh, yeah. for a certain period of time. If you go back far enough, it was regal, you know? And so then, sure. then it was venerated, but it certainly went through a phase where it was the outcasts did it and the burnouts maybe did it. And so I could see your dad being, um, concerned about it from that point of view. But then secondly, I would, you have to appreciate the athleticism of it. 
You know, so I would think there would be an element of it where it's certainly it'd be better than your kid going to do some frivolous pursuit that didn't have any athletic benefit to it. Like there's something athletic, but also there's a spiritual aspect. It could be sure. I could see him finding sure, value. In sure, it, you know? sure. And he did find value in yeah. it later on. And, and the older he got, the more he bragged about it. Cool. Right. Good. Um, but at the time, you know, he's at the top of his game and he wanted me to be lifting weights. And, yeah. you know, I know he he always wanted me to be an individual. Good. You know, he wanted me to be myself, but deep down inside, I think he wanted me to follow in his footsteps. And, you know, if you think about it, I kind of have, I mean, wherever I <clears throat> go, I guess it's just embedded in my psyche. I, I always try to share what I know with people. Like if I know something, I'm going to tell you about it, right? If I, You know, the a good example would be the shark surfer, that, that YouTube sensation video. Remind me. Okay. I'll show it to you after our... I've actually seen it now that I, I do remember. I'm him. Yes, I remember it now. The reason I got that gig is that I was out at Malibu and there was one other guy next to me and he looked like he was in prison picking up the soap. I'm going, dude, no. I said, can I give you some constructive criticism, please? I said, you gotta get your butt over your heels, pretend like you're sitting in a chair and get your knees in. That's proper stance. Yeah. Right? It, without without the proper stance, you're going to pick up bad habits. It'll take years to correct it. Sound like a year, a year later, I'm in Venice. Hey, John. Hey, remember me? You told me that I had a bad stance. That really worked. By the way, can you surf behind a moving object? I said, yeah, I grew up water skiing. What do you want, right? And we did the shark surfing video. And, and it, it, you know, but it was That's amazing. So funny. Yeah. I forgot that was you. Yeah. As you said it, I'm like, I don't know what you're yeah. talking. And then it slowly was yeah. coming back. Yeah. That's yeah. so I, funny. That thing got 6 million hits before they monetized YouTube. Oh, wow. And, yeah, because it was a long time. When yeah, was that? 2006. That's when they invented, YouTube was yeah, invented in 2005. I was, I, I, was, I was a YouTube sensation. That was 2005 you know, that they pioneer. invented YouTube. Yeah. That's crazy. Good day, LA. Good morning, LA. You mm -hmm. know, Fox. The, the, you know, guy surfs great white shark. You know? That's so <laughs> funny, dude. Funny. I can't believe I didn't connect those dots. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you I, always, I always go up to people and I try, to, I try to help because I know how hard this sport is. Yeah. Because I struggle with it and I told myself I'm never, ever going to forget the frustration that I experienced. Yeah. You know, and I see new, newer surfers coming in and I always try to correct them. I always try to help, right? And I always try to encourage, right? I mean, you it's know, I, I just get this from my dad, I, I guess. So it's funny that you say that. I always try to help and I always try to encourage because I had another thought a minute ago that I didn't share. You were talking about um, Sarlo and Dora screaming at you. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, no, it wasn't. Sarlo it wasn't Dora. It was. Sarlo. It was this guy named Mickey who was a motorcycle guy. Oh. And, okay. And Dave, he was a friend of Dave White. Dave White grew up on the Malibu Pier. Dave White is one of my surfing idols, by the way. He's he's a realtor in Malibu now, but he's was a big influence on me. Okay. And he he sold our house in Malibu for us. But Mickey was friends with Johnny Gyro. And Johnny Gyro and these guys were from the Val, but they were locals. They claimed they were locals. And if you got online, they would 
I mean, there was fighting, man. Yeah. I've been in my fair share of fights. Some I lost, some I won, right? But Mickey was nuts. He was a motorcycle guy. Gotcha. It, and he would surf on acid. Forgot to mention he was on acid. <laughs> and, and he'd throw his surf shorts around his neck and surf naked at third point. Okay, gotcha. Thank you. Do you think you're going to snake that guy? No. You're, never, you're no. not even going to surf behind him. No. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so I'm glad you clarified that because in yeah. my mind, I was like, the Dora years don't seem to align. No. But okay. When perfect. I was shaping it, natural progression though in 86, Mickey came back to the States for the oh, first time okay. and bought, you know. We're talking Dora now. We're talking Dora because yeah. I worked at Zuma J's. I worked at Zuma J's in Malibu. I was the second employee there in Malibu on, on near the pier, right? And Natural Progression was the other surf shop. And Robbie Dick and Dean Edwards were two of the shapers there. Dean is a good friend of mine. Dean was the Al Merrick of LA in the late 70s. He was making twin fins that were so cutting edge that, I mean, you could probably put them on a rack today and they're just modern stuff, you know, modern designs. Dean lives in Hawaii now. He's still on making the big boards, island, right? Yep. Yeah. And Dean, Dean, I'm the competition. They hate Suma Jays. And for some reason, they let me go into their factory and I'm going, they're gonna, they're gonna kill. Scott Anderson was the ding repair guy. No way. Oh yeah. So I'm walking in there shaping and I got Skipper, Skip Engblom from, you know, Zephyr, right? Yeah. I got all of them riding my ass. Like they're they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna kill me. They're gonna either you know mess with my car. You know what they did? You're not you're not done, Lelaine. Get the back in there. Finish it up. No 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 no. It's like this. It's like this. It's like this. They helped me. Yeah. You know I'll never forget that man. What they did for me, Skipper, Skipper and Dean and all those guys. They 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 molded me. They gave me discipline. They they taught me so much, and I'm so indebted especially scott anderson years later you know i without scott anderson i wouldn't be here really no sorry no it's okay but um well you know scott scott um scott gave me a home like after um you know i, I wanted to start up shaping again he just you know i wasn't all that close with him but he just he just let me have my way there you know and um, it's Dean and Skipper and, and all those guys who, who could have, um, they, they could have just shined me on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they, they could have just said, fuck you. Yeah. And they, they took me under their wing, you know? So, sorry, I didn't think I was going to get choked up like that, man. Well, so the detail in there that I wanted to ask you about is um, getting yelled at by Sarlo, for your own benefit, by the way. Yes. And then the other part about you saying, I always try to encourage. There's a contrast there. They're almost opposing things. Yeah. I was in the parking lot the other day in Huntington and there was two guys walking out of the water and I just overheard their conversation. And they were talking about kook of the day on Instagram. Right. There was an Instagram post from kook of the day with a guy getting a pocket ride. He wasn't in the barrel at all. He was like grabbing rail and it was barreling way behind him. He was just like out in front of the pocket essentially. And then he claims it super hard as he's <laughs> kicking out of the way. 
And so kook of the day was making fun of it. And the guys walking by were talking about that post, which I had seen earlier in the day. So I knew what they were talking about. And the guy goes, man, I was so glad for once in that toxic community, all of the commenters were shaming kook of the day. They were going, Hey, that surfer was just having a good time. Right. Like he was having the most fun of his life. Why do you have to make fun of him? Because he wasn't getting barreled, you know? Right. And so the guy telling the story was actually proud of the commenters for shaming kook of the day. And I thought to myself, that's kind of noble and like well-rounded or open-minded to like cheer for the guy who's just having a good time. Right. And then I thought, no, shame kook. He is a kook. That is a kook move. And us calling him a kook for not getting barreled. We'll make him better. We'll make him better. Yes. That us calling you a kook, you even making it on here and being called a kook means you're now part of the brethren. We've accepted you as part of the brethren. And part of that is as your older brother, I'm going to belittle you to get better. You, you got to earn your way in. Because if remember we were having that conversation earlier? Like if you don't have adversity, you will not grow. And, and if, if, if everybody says, oh my gosh, you were so amazing. Yeah. So many people come up to me. I've had customers come up. You know, like what kind of board am I going to get, John, for doing airs? I go, um, first of all, the only aerials you're doing is over the falls, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right? That's the only air you get, dude. Um, but you know, if, if you don't tell the truth, then you're never really going to get air. You know what well, I'm saying? If you don't, if you don't right. tell the truth, you're always going to be eight feet in front of the barrel. Right. Two. Right. Not exactly. getting the vision. Exactly. So I'm going to call you a kook because eventually you're actually going to get the vision that you've only dreamt of. Yeah. And that claim will be yeah. a lot more you, meaningful. You don't get to claim barrel if you're just like halfway there. And he wasn't right. even halfway. He was right. like way out in the flats, you know? Yeah. You can't baby in surfing because there's only you. If you if you don't get your act together, it's only you out there. Right. You know? Totally. So so and and it's so tough unless you have video of yourself. Like I'm gonna tell you a quick story, okay? So I was I thought I was ripping. You know, like when I saw myself on video, there's a bunch of guys at third point from the original crew out there because original crew, we were the birth of the shortboard revolution. Right. We are responsible for everything you see today. I was there. And, you know, all of my friends saw, saw themselves surf on video and they quit because they thought they looked differently, right? And they quit. The beauty about the 80s is that it was so cool. Although people looked awkward, they had their own style. And it was an extension of them. Their personality. Their personality. That style. That's what surfing's about. We've kind of gone into this homogenous, I call them the flying monkeys. They're very talented. Very talented. But they, their style is lacking a tad, right? Yeah. But granted, they're doing astounding things. But my friends, I saw myself surf and I went, I, I mean, it was horrifying to me. It is. And, and it was at 40 years old that I got this message from Tim Dion at Becker. He says, yeah, John, you're, you're surfing great, but you're not doing any maneuvers. You're just pumping down the line. I went, what do you mean? 
You know, like, what do you mean? And I, I changed my whole style. I worked on it. I, I mean, it's tough. If you don't get to see what you're doing and you don't get repetition, don't, that's where the wave pools are going to come in. Surfing is going to accelerate with the wave pool because you get muscle memory acceleration. You get to try your maneuvers. Yep. Totally. You know, but, but yeah, think about it. Like my friends saw themselves surf and like, you know, I, I'm not going to name any names, but you know, one of them went into cycling. <laughs> one of them went into fishing, you know, like, like they were doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're all friends with Willie Morris. You know, we went to Willie Morris is a bachelor party. Right. And, uh, it was debaucherous. It, it was, it, it was a bloodbath. Tell it, tell the story. Okay. okay. <laughs> I mean, we walk on the school bus, man. And, and we had a Japanese friend of ours named Craig Diltz. Okay. And, and, and here I am on the bus and, and keep in mind, I hung out with all the vowels. I'm a Malibu local, but I hung out with a lot of the vowels because you know why? They surfed well. You don't get to be a local and be a kook and go belittle someone from the Val who surfs better than you. You don't get to do that. That's the great thing Because they're better than too. you. Yeah, it's a meritocracy. So, so Craig Diltz is Japanese, mind you. And everybody's chanting on the bus, the weave, the weave, the weave. What's the weave? And Craig is standing up at the bus. Everybody's cheering. You know, there's a keg. I don't even know where we went. I can't remember. And he whips down his pants and weaves his unit one time between his fingers and then back. No. <laughs> Did he have tiny hands? I, no. He just, he was an, an endowed Japanese man. It was astounding. What could the weave possibly be? <laughs> I would not have guessed that. I wouldn't have guessed that. Like, if you, you gave me a hundred. Your vowels are insane. You know, the Valley guys were out of their tree. I mean, some of the stuff we used to do, I mean, it's, you gotta admit, I mean, the, the newer surfing males a little more subdued than the 80s. We were nuts. I mean, we were the guys from Big Wednesday. You know, we, we were that crazy, you know. And, and I came from Pepperdine, I was in Pepperdine. Right. You know, I always say, Christianity never stopped me from doing a damn thing. I had more fun than Vegas, right? <laughs> right? It was, it, was, it was nuts. I mean, the parties in Malibu. I had a red van, and I had carpeting in the back, and I would drive around Malibu with a beer between my legs with about 12 people smoking a bong in the back going from party to party. Crazy. It was so much fun. And when I drove drunk, anybody drove drunk in those days, you were super, super cautious. I'm not kidding, man. You, you were paying attention. Yeah. You weren't being an idiot going, oh, what? you know? Yeah. You're the driver. You're drinking. You maintain. Yeah. You take responsibility for everybody in the back of that car. I mean, I, I'm saying this because, you know, we were conscientious. You know what I'm saying? We, we, we were radical, but we weren't stupid. Yeah. You know, I don't know, but it was a time. It was a time in, that we're never totally. going to have again. No, you know? totally. And, and everybody, like I said, it was, it was happy. You know, it was a happy time. Yeah. You know, and, and, and a lot of stuff was starting to happen. 
didn't quite like the, the music of the 80s too much because I was more of a rocker from the 70s, yeah. you know? But um, thank God Guns N' Roses came in 87 yeah. and saved me. But, uh, you know. So you reference Val for the guys that live in the Valley? Yeah. Do you know what Val stands for now? No, 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 no. What? Vulnerable Adult Learner. <laughs> which it kind of has the same connotation and it's in the surf world you'll they'll refer to people as vals but it's not because they're from the valley because it could be there could be a val in hawaii they'll be like oh look at that val or look at that val in florida look at that val in australia right. vulnerable adult vulnerable adult, adult learner maybe boomers right yeah or it's all these people now with covid like everybody's home so they you know, now they're spending time outdoors. So there's all these new surfers in the water now. I, so Look at all these so Val is vulnerable adult? Yes, learner. yes. I, I must maintain this information in my brain now. Yeah. Okay. You'll see it okay. all the time now. And to you, you're probably thinking, oh yeah, from the Valley reference. Yeah. Because that's really what I think of the Val too. Because I grew up in Southern California and I yeah. know that reference. But now people use it and it's that acronym. I mean, I mean, some of the locals, I mean, you know, some of the locals never got a job. Like when I, I went to the most radical private school in California. It, it was like a college. We discussed this. Buckley. Buckley. It's famous. W it's famous. Yeah. From, from um, what was the name of the book? Uh, American Psycho. American. Or no, or, uh, or Less Than Zero. Less Than Zero. Less Than Zero. Right? And, you know, like I, I went to that school and we were raised with, with, with severe discipline. You know, we had to be on our P's and Q's. I mean, you had to have good manners. We were taught manners to shake hands, you know, just different time, you know? Like surfing was radical then because of the time, right? Um, I think I lost I lost where I was going with that one, but uh, I, I, I am close to 60 now. No, so. I was talking about vowels and you were talking about the rigor of the school. Oh yeah, the locals. Locals, So So it. the locals, some of them, you know, you surf all your life. You, you, oh, you live your life to surf, and life passes you by. You know, it, you can surf too much, right? Yeah. I mean, it was devastating for me because I, I always say I was born and raised with a silver spoon in my mouth. I'm going to die with a plastic one, <laughs> right? So, so, yeah, I had a good upbringing. It was awesome, but I put myself in, in, in down with the common man, Yeah. right? I never acted like I had famous parents, you know? Because I just, first of all, wasn't in me. wasn't in my nature, right? But when my parents asked me, or no, they demanded I get a job when I was going to college. No, I have surfing to do. I have a social life. I'm not getting a job. You're getting a job. You're not going to, you know, like your sister's going back to chiropractic school and you're getting a job. And I just, you know, I freaked out, so I go, okay, I'll apply. I'll, I'll go out for the lifeguards. I'll do something easy. I show up to the lifeguard training. We're going to do this swim. All these guys are there in Speedos, shaved heads, greasing up in Vaseline. And I'm in Quicksilver shorts with long hair going. I got back in my car, and I drove up to Zuma J's, and I applied for a job there. And I got a job in something fishy in Malibu as a sushi bar waiter. The moment I realized that I had money in my pocket that I could do whatever I wanted with and I didn't have to ask mom and dad, 
a, a light went on. Like, <laughs> oh, this this is what it is. Oh, I get it. This is awesome, right? Yeah. It's awesome. And the more I do this, the more money I get. Sign me up, right? Yeah. And from there, I met people. I got to work in the restaurant. I got a social life. Um, I got to meet all the locals in Malibu through the surf shop. And when I worked at Zuma J's, I had to be taken down to South Shore Glassing, which was owned by Jerry Moe, who makes the power pads. You know the power pads in yeah. every surfboard factory? Jerry Moe raised me to, I owe him a debt of gratitude. Dang. He trained me how to make surfboards. Let me watch every single board I got being shaped. I got a board a week for five, almost five years. What? When one board I didn't like wasn't being used, it was on the rack being sold for another one the next week when I went down to pick up boards. Wow. By the time I was 25, I had owned and ridden 500 surfboards. Easy. Which would probably equate to a lot of information from here to here. Right? Because the more you got underneath your feet, the more knowledge you had. But there's one more element that I did. I paid attention. I paid attention to why they didn't work. I wasn't always right. But I tried to figure out the problem. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you don't even try and you don't like the board and you throw it away and you don't try to fix the problem, right. you're going to buy the same thing again. Back then, we had to measure our noses and our tails to find out how wide they were at 12 inches from the bottom of the board, right? Because if you didn't know your nose and tail measurements, you couldn't figure out your volume, right? So, so knowing those measurements, like, hey, man, I prefer a 15-inch wide tail because that's where you stand, right? I'm getting off the beaten path, but I'm saying some good stuff right now. That's, it fits into the... It's good for the, for, for the listener because... Where you stand is the most important place on your board. How wide it is in the center can be deceiving because you don't know how wide the nose is. You don't know how wide the tail is. Right. So you're going to buy the same length, the same thing. We've got leaders. That's okay, but where are the leaders displaced? Right? What if your nose is 19 and your tail's 11? That board's not going to work the same. you got the same amount of leaders, but you're totally lost. So you should still measure your nose and tail. And that's what I learned from Jerry Moe at South Shore. They did all our glassing. They did all our shaping. And we, I took the orders behind the counter at Zuma J's. Shane Haran came in to Zuma J's. I, I'm on um, Instagram with Shane and Shane's shaping now. He's making some killer boards for the average surfer. He's doing a great job. And that was an amazing time. Um, but something happened um, back then that forever changed my life. Um, aside from, you know, meeting Dean and working at Zuma J's, uh, piping hot wetsuits dropped a surfer off on our doorstep for the Sunkiss Pro, I think it was 80 or something. Sunkiss Pro, we had the bikini contest at Malibu. Buttons was there and, you know, Terry Richardson, Richo, was dropped off on my doorstep and they needed a place to stay. And so... Well, this guy can stay at our house. He was there, there to sell wetsuits? No, he was there to compete. Oh, okay. Terry Richardson was on the top 16 yeah, for yeah, yeah. 10 years, right? Yeah. But he didn't have a place to stay. So while I was working at Zuma J's, piping hot wetsuit, dropped him off on our doorstep. Gotcha. Can you find him a place to stay? And I took him in with my roommate, Rich Thies, um, in college. We had a round guest house above Duke's. 
I lived above Duke's for about five years in a round house. In Malibu? Yeah. Yeah. So we took Terry around and he took my brand new twin fin that I had. And he goes, mate, the waves are small. Can I borrow your board? I go, yeah, sure. No, no problem. So he takes the board in the back, takes a grinder and whacks down my fins because he didn't like them. They're too big. Um, I won a bunch of contests on that board, um, by the way. With but, his fins or with yours? Yeah, with, with the fins. When, when he ground the fins down on that board, it made it work really well. Wow. So I won a lot of contests on it. But Terry, Terry went down, but we wound up being really good friends with him. We didn't really surf with him. We didn't know he shaped. We didn't know how good of a surfer he really was, right? But we took him to Disneyland. We took him to Universal Studios and we became buddies. And we went over to see him in Australia. And we stayed with him. And then when he came back in 86, he bought us both boards that he shaped. At that time, I was writing Channel Islands um, through Zuma J's because I got Ch Al Merrick to do the Zuma J's. Oh, in there. Okay. And, and Dean and Natural Progression were glassing El Merrick's boards at the time too. Okay. Um, but Terry shaped us both boards and they, were, they blew anything I've ever ridden away. Really? And he shaped them with a freaking sure form. No way. Zuma J's gave him a contract for 200 boards and those boards were out the door. He shaped them all. He used a planer to cut one little thing and then the rest was a sure form. 200 were in they, a hot box. Were they twin fins? They, they, were, they were thrusters okay. at the time because it was 86. Okay. And Brian Hilbers rented out the shack at Winding Way in Malibu to Terry. Wow. Right? It, like, like I said, Brian at the time, I mean, Brian, Brian, Brian's a walking, talking encyclopedia of surfing. He's an amazing design head. And, you know, trying to understand what he says is, is, is a talent in and of itself. Sure. But, I, I mean, for me... You know, he, he gave me my language, how to speak and communicate while shaping. Yeah. I learned all that from Brian Hilbers. Terry Richardson, I learned a lot. I, I watched him shape all, almost all the 200 boards. Um, Terry is an amazing surfer and he's still doing great. He still shapes, but he works on the mines and, you know, he won the Owen Bali Pro. But I've got so many people that are behind me, so many people that influence me, um, you know, people go, what qualifies you to be a shaper? My whole history, you know, yeah. like, like, you know, being a competitor, being in the industry, taking surfboard orders, thousands, thousands of their surfboard orders behind that counter in Zuma Chase. Uh, you know? What were you studying at Pepperdine? The shortest um, major possible. I stayed there for five and a half years. I was like, I better pick something. Yeah. Radio broadcasting. Oh. It was it was amazing. I loved it. I really did have my own little radio show. Good for you. It, it was really, really great. And I, I had a fine arts minor. You're a natural. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Here with my, a microphone in front of you, my, I can tell. My mom took me to Hanna-Barbera because I used to draw really kind of um, crude cartoons, but they're really funny and everybody loved them. I, I went to the, to the House of Lords in England with one of our friends. I made some jokes that made the British people laugh. Um, but I had my cartoon book with me and my mom took me to Hanna-Barbera because she wanted me to be a cartoonist. Because, oh, you're so artistic, you know. Yeah. And then the art teacher at Buckley would say, oh, you know, 
what a great painting you did. And they would go, and then they would touch up your painting, you know, the teacher. And then, you know, they make it look good, not me, you know. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. When they touch it up, it makes good. But, um, but, it, but the surfboards made me into an artist. I had to learn to airspray because there's nobody to do my airsprays for me in Hawaii. Okay. Right? So, so all my artistic abilities came out with the surfboards. There's sap in the trees if you tap them. There's blood on the seas if you map them. Christian, if you see your papa, tell him I love him. He taught me to love in the wild and fight in the gym. You can find a lot of the things that John and I discussed on surfsplendorpodcast.com. I've also got videos of his father, Jack, and some of his incredible feats of strength and wellness. I've also got lots of imagery of John's boards, the Gemini design, which we'll get into more in the next episode. And I've actually got, he loaned me a Gemini that I'll be um, writing and reviewing on a future show as well. So you can look forward to that. And of course, this is just part one of two. John and I have a lot more to discuss, and I have a feeling um, there really could be parts three and four of this as well. So hopefully I'll get the opportunity to connect with John again in the future. And this is the final episode of Surf Splendor for 2020, the year that was. Jeez, I mean, 2020 is going to go down in the history books. Um, but we had a wonderful year here and a lot of growth. We have new sponsors coming onto the show in 2021, which I'm really excited about. We also just introduced that subscription platform. And part of that is we're going to take surfboard reviews really seriously in 2021. I always kind of shied away from some of the tedious design discussion. And the only feedback that I ever get is that you, the listeners, want more of it. So we're going to dive headlong into that. We're going to focus kind of on surfboard designs for the everyman. There's a number of um, surfboard reviewers doing a great job reviewing high-performance pointy thrusters, but let's get real. What are you and I writing? You hear the boards that myself and Scott and Chaz talk about, and uh, that's the type of stuff that we're going to be reviewing from a lot of surfboard shapers that you've already even heard from over the years here. So we will be accumulating those boards, kind of focusing a month on writing them, and then, of course, giving one away to one of our network supporters. So if you want to get on that support bandwagon, you can do it on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Click support the show. It's five bucks a month. And again, we're building this entire business five bucks at a time. So we really appreciate that and uh, lots more to come. I hope that something good came out of 2020 for you. I hope that you're spending more time in the ocean. And I hope that you have a wonderful New Year's Eve celebration and the weekend off to reflect on life and the year ahead. All right, so this is David Scales wishing you well and encouraging you, of course, to get back into the ocean, share some waves with somebody, and shred on.
Get her.